My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Copper Hills, and I'm glad to welcome you. Welcome at home. Glad you're joining us that way. I am here with somebody on... Just come a little closer. We want to actually take a look at you. Well, what do you think, huh? This is Michael and Jen Marshall. Yes. Uh, Michael has joined our staff as pastor of uh, creative arts here this last uh, week or so, and we're glad to welcome him. Michael and Jen have a family. I think we've got a picture. We've got Bailey, and we've got Audrey, and Michael Jr., named after the old guy, right? Uh-huh. That's what we do. You bet. So let me tell you a little bit of what Michael is going to do here as pastor of Creative Arts. So uh, we do a great job here in the main adult auditorium with uh, worship expression using the arts and so on. However, we would like to see that same kind of expression through our students and our kids. And uh, so we have an overall worship environment using the creative arts here as at Copper Hills. And Michael's going to give leadership to that. Then we have the Center for the Arts that we started a couple of years ago, and we're developing some great talent. It's just amazing what is happening there. But we want to find a, v- a via and a way for that talent to be used within the church family for the fame of Jesus who gave the talent. So we just want to raise up musicians and artists. We actually want to release them into a place where they can use those within our church family. And Michael's going to give oversight to that as well. We're so thrilled to have you and your family here. We really are. I hope you are. Yeah, so this time will tell, right? All right. Hey, as a church family, would you stand with me? I want to pray for Michael, Jen, and their family. Jesus. You have brought this family to us with a purpose, and we believe that purpose is to give pastoral care and leadership to our creative arts community. Would you bless them as they do this? Would you give them your ideas, your thoughts? But Jesus, might this experience draw them more deeply into your kingdom with you. May this be an enriching experience for them. May we as a church bless them, encourage them, cheer for them. May they also be used, Jesus, to lead us closer to you and more deeply in the kingdom. This Jesus we ask in your name with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Glad you guys are here. So uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I was working for a corporation. Uh, It was my first venture into the corporate world, and I was working for a company, uh, kind of like a Home Depot or Lowe's, that kind of thing. And uh, one day, I got an invitation to have a personal private meeting with the president of our company, to go to the corporate headquarters and to meet with him. Now, that can be good or that cannot be good, right? I'll give you a little bit of backdrop. Uh, when I first started with this, uh, this company, as I said, that was in the building supply business, they had this uh, philosophy that you don't get to run retail till you understand retail. And so as a rookie... My first assignment, though I had the E-suite in my viewfinder, was to be in the retail business to learn it. That's a great leadership model, by the way. Get your feet and hands dirty. And so I did that, and I discovered early on that there were a certain set of of, uh, numbers that mattered a great deal to the success of this company. You know, return on investment and profit and loss and uh, sales per square foot and profit per square foot and all of those kinds of numbers, and those are... Those are great to gauge things by, but here's what I noticed. There weren't any numbers that were helping us determine whether we were actually caring for our employees or whether our customers really mattered to us other than them buying stuff from us. 
And I became like uneasy with this. And I'm a naive early 20s. And the only thing I can do is think to do is, well, uh, if we're going to differentiate ourselves as a company and we're going to stand out from everybody else, it's not because we sell the same lumber or the same lawnmower or whatever it would be, right? We're going to distinguish ourselves by being known as a company that cares for their employees and really cares about their customers. So I write a report, like a college-style thesis of how we can focus on our employees and our customers, called it preferred stock, and uh, <laughs> I don't know why I did this, but I sent it off to the president of the company. I did that. I know, for real. Um, and a few weeks later, vice president of operations comes to our store and uh, pulls me aside into the office and said, so you sent, apparently sent a report to the president, and he's uh, well, he got the report. I go, yeah. Well, he wants to meet with you privately. So you need to go to corporate headquarters to meet with him on such and such a day. Now I'm actually a little nervous, right? What, like, what, have, I, what have I done here? Uh, and so I go to the corporate headquarters and uh, I'm ushered into his office and I'm sitting in one of his chairs and uh, our president's name was Steele Curry. That name in itself will evoke fear, right? <laughs> And it did. Like, he had this reputation. He was this tall guy, six plus. Uh, he was intense, deep blue eyes. And he had this reputation of being impatient and demanding. He had uh, gone to Stanford University and graduated from Harvard Business School, so he knew his stuff. Came from a wealthy family, and ma money mattered to him, profit mattered to him. I knew all of that. And so there I'm sitting, and the longer I'm sitting by myself in his office, the more nervous I'm getting. And he walks in, and he's got a copy of the report in his hand. And he drops it on the desk, and he goes, so I want to talk to you about this. Now, I think he said it nicely, but all I heard was, I want to talk to you about this young man. And so now I'm sweating profusely, sweat's dropping off the desk, I'm stuttering, I can't put my words together, and I finally just take a deep breath and you know, gain some traction, and I go, yes, and... He wants to know about why I wrote it. He said, I don't, I don't find many 20-somethings that do this kind of thing. You've got a lot of guts, though he used a different body part at that point. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so we actually, when it all turned out, we had a really wonderful conversation. And he was really interested that someone as young as I was would actually have that level of interest. And he asked for some solutions. And I said, you know, I think we should invest some money in having a training department, like a formal, to train our people well, and a leadership academy that we could lead, train our leaders really well. And I don't think it was because of that. He was a really smart guy. Five years later, he, he did that, and he invited me, whether I would be a junior in that department. But he really listened to me. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because this morning, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture of another meeting very similar to this. A junior employee, a rookie, really, sitting down to meet with the president of a global enterprise. And they're going to talk about the distinctives of who they are as a group. It's a really fascinating conversation. You may well have seen it before. If you want to follow along, you can follow along in Exodus 33. And that gives it away already a little bit if you're familiar with the Old Testament. I want to take you back 3,500 years or so to a time where Egypt is the reigning megapower of the world. They have influenced globally. In their own country, they have influence on the backs of God's chosen people, the Israelites. And for 400 years, they've been enslaved. 
and uh, they're longing for freedom. They're longing for God to rescue them, but they've pretty much given up on God doing that, though God had promised that it would be through them that he would bless the whole world and reveal to the world the wonder of who he was through how he led them as a people. And then as God does, right, he graciously turns to human beings to do something he could do without them. And he turns to Moses and says, Moses, I've picked you. Would you be willing to go and lead on my behalf and take my people out of slavery into freedom? And Moses, through an amazing set of circumstances, if you want a reading plan for this week, read Exodus. It's an amazing story. It's fantastic to see God's involvement in this. So the day comes for them to leave, and they do. But it goes really badly, really, really quickly. They barely get out of Egypt, and they're backed up against the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army decides to go back after them, and they're in, that's a squeeze point. And God rescues them by splitting the water, and they can walk through on dry land. And then they run out of food, and God provides food from the sky for them. And then they run out of water, and amazingly, he cracks open a rock, a rock that doesn't have water in it, suddenly has water, and it bursts forth, and they're, they're watered as a, as a community. And then they have to go through a country to go to the land that God has promised them. And as they go through that country, the country misunderstands what they're there for. They feel threatened and they come and attack this uh, group of people who are not military people at all. They've got, they got, you know, trowels and shovels against a fully equipped army and God rescues them. And God gets them out of that situation. And now we find them on the Sinai Peninsula at the base of Mount Horeb, which if you were here last week, we mentioned that's the mountain where Elijah encountered God. And so here they are. And now God invites Moses to come up to the top of the mountain to meet with him personally. Just think about that one. It's amazing. And as God meets with Moses, we're told that thunder and lightning and an incredible show of God's power is visible for all the people down below. And for 40 days, that's a God and Moses, God and Moses together. Now, we would never do this, right? It would take a lot longer for us to drift from God after seeing all that he's done, but it only takes them 40 days. And in their hearts, the people go back to Egypt and they gather their gold and their jewelry and jewels and they forge a golden calf, which was a symbol that they had come from, a God from the land they'd come from, and they begin to worship that golden calf. And Moses comes down the mountain and he sees it. And it's a dark day. Like it's a really dark day. Thousands of people lose their lives. And uh, it's, we're just, if you stop the story, you just don't know how it's gonna go forward from there. Well, here's one of the things that Moses had done all along. And this is where he retreats to. And this is where the meeting takes place that I referenced. He has put together what he calls a tent of meeting. Apparently, it's a tent on the outside of the encampment itself, and it's there every day that Moses goes to be alone with God. I guess to do his devotions, if you do those, to hear from God, to talk with God. Whatever happens in that place, it's, it's his meeting with God. And this is where this conversation, a junior employee meeting with the president of the whole global operation, and this amazing conversation that happens on the heels of all that we've just talked about. This is how it starts. It says this, Moses said to the Lord, hey God, like you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not 
Let me know whom you will send with me. Just pause for just a second. If you were to read back a little bit, and if you read it this week, you'll realize that on the heels of that terrible thing that happens at the base of the mountain where they go back to Egypt in their hearts, God turns to Moses and said, these stiff-necked people, I'm not going with them anymore. I'm not. I'm going to send an angel to go with them, but I'm not going with them. How shocking would that be to hear? But Moses isn't okay with that. He doesn't even know the name of the angel. And so he says, God, you haven't told me who you're going to send with me. You've said, I know you by name, Moses. I know you and that you have found favor with me. But this doesn't sound like favor. It, it seems like abandonment is what it feels like. God, God, that can't happen. I'm not okay with you just sending an angel. I've seen what life with you is like. I was up on the mountain with you for 40 days and 40 nights and every day in this tent. I'm not okay. I'm not okay with not going without you. To which God replies, he says, well, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember this nation is your people. And God says this, my presence will go with you, Moses, and I'll give you rest. Here's what I love. Have you ever experienced this where you ask God for something, he appears to be leading in a certain way or not doing something and you ask him and you ask him and then he feels like he changes his mind? doesn't actually change his mind. Just lets us think we, he changed his mind so that we'll think of his grace in that kind of way. So he turns to Moses and goes, okay, Moses, I am going with you. I'll do that. I, I heard you. I, I am going to go. I'm going to go with you. I put the angel on notice. I'm going with you. To which Moses says, well, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, we're not going. I'm not interested in going with an angel. I'm going, interested in going with you, you alone. Here, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? God, that's the only way people are going to know that we have your favors if you're actually with us. Like you were with me on the mountain and you're in the tent with me. Go with us. And then this is what caught my eye this week. He says this, what else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth. You know what Moses is saying? It sounds like this, God, you said you'd go with us, and then you said you wouldn't, the angel would go, and now you're going to go with us, and we're not going if you don't go with us. God, what I want to be known as, as a person, as a leader, as a people, I want people to look around and see us and go, there are the people who go with God. Those are the people that trust God. Those are the people where God blesses. Those are the people that he does life with. He walks with them. He leads them. He goes with them. Here's the thing that God taps into that all of us experience in all of our lives. We all want to be known for something. We all want to be known for something. We want something to distinguish us from other people. We don't want to be an also ran. We want to be unique and be known for something. So here's a lunchtime question you can have today. Ask around the table, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known as? You'll get an answer. You will. If you ask your kids, they'll tell you what you are known for. Uh-huh. Which might be good to know. Your wife, your husband will tell you what they know you for. But what would you want to be known for? When I was a little boy, the thing that I wanted to be known for was that I was good at something. 
anything. So he was a five or six-year-old little boy. I wasn't particularly athletic, though I loved athletics, but I couldn't see well. And uh, my, I wore glasses, and they were the thickness of a Coke bottle bottle. Do you know that you're subject for ridicule when, with your friends when that's what you wear? And so I looked dorky. I felt dorky. It took me a little bit longer to process information through these thick glasses, and so I was a little slow in some things. I was the guy that never got picked to play on the soccer team when we divvied up at recess time. I was the consolation prize. Okay, you get Bradley. You can have him. Really, that's how it was. So I wanted to be known as being good at something. Anything will be good. I, I wanted that. And so I loved hockey. I enjoyed it. And so I decided I'm going to play organized hockey. And immediately the coach put me in the least wanted position, goaltender. Now, I'm just telling you, this guy was a lousy coach. It's never a good idea to put a blind kid in goal. <laughs> it's just not a good idea. You know, the, the first season I played, I let in 21 goals in one game. <laughs> no, honestly, you know, you exaggerate, no exaggeration. Like, I, was, I, couldn't, I wasn't good at anything. And I so wanted, I so wanted to be good at something. I wanted to be known, not as a kid with thick glasses. And then you grow up and things like contacts come along. Thank you, Lord, for that. <laughs> and when I reached my late teens and early 20s, I uh, wasn't so much interested, though I think I was still there because of insecurities. I didn't want to so much be known to be good at something, I wanted to be known that I was right, that I knew something, that I was right about something. And I had this particular interest in wanting to know whether I was right about God. And so I read thick book, books that, you know, I don't know, most 18, 20 year olds maybe wouldn't be that interested in knowledge of the holy in these books. And because I, I wanted to be right about God. And then I become a dad and I've got like an adult career and I've got children. And it just kind of shifted for me. It wasn't all at one time, but I shifted to wanting to be known as not just good at something, not just known for being, what, being right, but I wanted to be known for being good at everything. So I wanted to be the best dad. I wanted to be the best husband. I wanted to be the best employee, the best employer. I wanted to be good at everything. And I, I worked so hard to be good at everything that people would think, that guy's a rock star at everything he does. And then again, I don't know exactly where it happened. Maybe closer to my 50s. I don't know exactly. But it shifted for me. And I, I wanted to be known for just being a good person. Just on the inside. Just a good person. Not doing good things. Not being a good dad or a good husband. Just being a good person. And then I discovered I also wanted to be known as being smart. Creative. A good leader. I want to be known as I've gotten a little older that I still have something left in the tank, that I still have some contribution to make. I discovered that this desire to want to be known for something just doesn't go away. It shifts and it changes. And this is what I love about Moses. Through the course of all that he's experienced, from being invited to lead, to watching a staff turn into a viper and back to a staff and getting leprosy and then being healed of leprosy and 10 plagues and being miraculously brought out of Egypt. And he's discovered God along the way. He's discovered how wonderful God is and who he is. And it's unthinkable for him to think about going on without God. 
And so he says in that tent of meeting, he says, God, what I want to be known for, what I want to distinguish my life from anything is that you and I go and do life together. That people look at me and they go, there's Moses. He does life with God. There's Moses. He reminds me of what God is like. There's Moses who's distinguished by that. Can I tell you something? I am going to anyways. It wasn't really a question. These last two and a half years, Christ's church, Jesus' bride, and some of our followers haven't looked a lot like Jesus. We haven't been identified by our allegiance to him. What we've been identified is by our allegiance to a political party or to a certain set of morals or things that we're against or things that we're, we're for, but they're kind of earthly. And I don't know how many of us, people would stop and look at us and go, oh, you're like Jesus, who said, I've come into the world to seek and to save the lost, to rescue them, not to condemn them, but that they would find life in me. I love my enemies. No, I really love my enemies. I pray for those people who persecute me. When they ask me to go a mile, I go, let's go too. I tell the truth. I forgive things that are, let's just appear unforgivable. That's, that's who I am. And then he says, and he asks each one of us, how about you come and follow me? How about you come and do life along with me? And the longer you do life with me, the more intimately we enjoy those, well, those times in the tent of meeting together the more your, your thinking is going to shift. You know, I didn't come to change your behavior. I came to change the way you think, which affects your behavior. So walk with me. Live with me. Let's do life together. And watch how your thinking shifts. And then this will happen. People will begin to identify you with me. They might even... If they hang around with you long enough and you keep walking deeply in my kingdom, they might even mistake you for what I am really like. Our world desperately needs followers of Jesus who look like him, who see the world the way he does, who, yes, have views on morality and have political views and they're involved politically. It's just that's not what the church is. We're the example of Christ. And this is who has our allegiance. Our allegiance. You see, when you and I said yes to Jesus and asked him to take our sins and put them on the cross with him and breathe spiritual life into us, we didn't change our religious affiliation. We changed our allegiance to the king of all kings. That's who we follow. And then out of that, that's how we live. And I promise you, people will mistake us. We'll be distinguished. We'll stand out. We'll be known for being followers of Jesus, not just what we're against or for. Moses gets this. 
And I so admire him for not only making that declaration, but then where he goes with the conversation after that. He says this following that. He says, and the Lord said to Moses, you know something, I've just heard you. I will go with you. And the thing that you've asked for, I'm going to give because I'm pleased with you and you, I know you by name. And then Moses says this. Now, God, would you show me your glory? What did he mean with that? This, I learned something this week. I don't know how I missed this all these years, but I thought like, asking God to show his glory was asking him to do something spectacular. You know, like lightning flashing or miraculous healing or somehow I'd see him just show up embodied somehow for me or heal this or fix that or do something that would be unmistakably his power. But Moses had seen all that already. He had seen it. Not what he's asking for. Do you know what he's asking for? And do you know what God's glory is? It's the full panoramic display of his character, of who he is. All of his attributes on full display. That's his glory. That's what makes him big. That's what makes him mighty. So all of his attributes of love and kindness and holiness and justice and truth, all of those on display, you know, he has those at mega levels, omni levels. And that's what his glory is. So what's Moses asking? He says, I'm not going on without you. There's nothing to show if you don't go with us because that's what identifies me. And God, you don't have to fix the problem. But would you show your glory? Would you show how wonderful you are? Would you show how truthful you are? Would you keep yourself ever before us? Because whatever obstacles we face, whatever challenges are there, those might get taken care of, but there's a whole new batch coming. But if I know you, and I know the spectacular, amazing nature that is just you, and that's who walks with me, I can face anything. I can go through anything. But I can't if you're not with us. So go with us. Let me identify with you and show me the wonder of who you are. Practically, you know what all of us need? If the leader of a nation of a million plus people needs this, we all need this. We need a tent of meeting. We need some place that's our spot where we go to be alone with Jesus, to pull the curtain back, to sit with him, to be quiet, to be alone with him. Not while we're running, not while we're exercising, not while we're doing things. I know this is actually frightening to think of, but to sit. For me, it's my home office. I got an overstuffed chair and that's where I will sit. For me, my best time is the morning, so I do it in the morning. Can't tell you the number of times I've experienced God's glory, some attribute that he shows through his word or some imagery or a story. And I'm emboldened again for another day to walk with him. We all need a tent of meeting. All of us do. Do you have one? Find one. Find that works for you. Then, who do you want to be identified as? How do you want people to think of you? Do you want to people to think of you as the one who follows Jesus, who's mistaken for Christ. That's a lifetime. But if that's who you want to be identified as, Jesus wants that. And he will surely do it. And then, 
Would you ask him this week? God, I've got some problems. I've got some challenges. I've got some decisions, dilemmas that I face. But I'm going to suspend asking you to take care of those for just a bit. And I'm going to ask you to show me your glory. Would you show me how wonderful you are? Show me how you always tell the truth. How you're always with me. How forgiveness has been extended so I could extend that to other people. Would you show me your holiness and your majesty? How you're preeminent. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And then, if you would handle those problems, I'd appreciate it. But I'll walk through them with you because I know you're good. And you're great. And you know me by name too. Now, Jesus, you so spectacularly modeled this for us to come into our world to do life with us. You know, it would have been a wonderful thing, Jesus, if you had just come and modeled a whole new kind of behavior, something that inspired us, something that raised the bar. But you did way more than that. You came into this world you gave your life to take away the obstacle that prevented us from ever getting close to that, regardless of how hard we've tried. And you've made up the difference by taking our sin, our independence on yourself, and in turn giving us your spirit to live with you always in every situation. So, Jesus, thank you. And if you would, as we sing this song, it's a request of you. Would you show us your magnificent glory, all of your character? Would you do that, Jesus? Amen.